Shelby Church, hey, hey, good to see y'all. My name is Tony Robinson, and what a joy it is uh, to be a part of just this church family uh, this morning. Uh, on behalf of Stonegate Church, your parent family, it's kind of it's crazy. Uh, so this is a neat moment, and uh, so I, I just want to say on behalf of Stonegate, just thanks. And uh, praise God that the Lord is continuing to, uh, to give life and to grow and to just make disciples within your church family. It is just a joy to see the Lord moving uh, within your church family as we kind of plan it all out. This is August, this is past August, which is just crazy to think about. So uh, praise God. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews 9. So we're going to start there, and then that's going to launch us into a conversation about how the gospel shapes our mentality and our approach toward racial issues. Uh, so you can turn there if you haven't already. And you know, uh, my journey with this whole race thing uh, has felt for me in many ways like a marriage. Uh, so I know, weird, marriage. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're probably thinking, is Tony's marriage okay? Uh, you know, so we're, we're actually, though, we're, we're, we're doing okay. We, we're actually about to celebrate 10 years, hello, 10 years um, of, of God's faithfulness to us, 10 years of marriage. Uh, so praise God, and uh, he's been so faithful, man, so faithful. Uh, but I definitely remember, you know, uh, what was going through my mind almost about 10 years ago uh, when I put a ring on it. And uh, I had just finished uh, college with my engineering degree, uh, I was pursuing uh, my master's at seminary, uh, and so a lot, in a lot of ways, you could say, I had it going on, you know, like I had it going on. Uh, like I had known a lot, I had seen a lot, especially at the University of Texas, Hookham, uh, and I, I wouldn't have admitted it back then, uh, but uh, I would say that, that like walking into marriage, I was walking in pretty confidently, you know, like I thought I was a relatively uh, well-educated, you know, accomplished, reputable, humble Christian guy uh, heading into marriage, and I thought I had a lot to offer, and, and, and Sarah should have just been so thankful that she was marrying such a humble guy, uh, you know, into seminary. I was thinking these things, and then I got married. And when I got married, I quickly realized that I was a selfish, prideful sack of potatoes, just, just real quick, um, I, I realized that I had a lot to learn. Mar- marriage uh, ended up just uh, being me constantly learning what I, I didn't know and relearning what I thought I had known while holding on to the fact that she still loved me for better or for worse. Um, and, and every single season of my marriage has been the Lord exposing, like painfully exposing, the layers and depths of my pride and selfishness that, that I couldn't see in previous seasons. I just couldn't see it. I'm still, I'm still learning how much I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm still learning uh, what, I, what, I, what I don't even know still about Sarah. I'm still learning the depths of who she is. Um, I'm learning to this day uh, about how deep my selfishness goes and how deep our love is for one another. That's what I'm learning. And, and in order to pursue a peace in my marriage, uh, in order to be uh, some sort of godly leader and mediator, I had to be constantly learning. Constantly learning. Uh, so, so why do I say all that? Well, I say that because uh, my experience in marriage as a husband should be somewhere in the ballpark your experience of race as a Christian. Somewhere in the ballpark. Christian, you should be constantly learning, 
constantly relearning, constantly exposing, constantly doing the work necessary to pursue peace with all races and ethnicities within your context while holding fast to and remembering what's true from the scriptures. That's what you're supposed to do, Christian. Uh, So now here's my question, Trailview. Why isn't the church leading the way in showing the world how to do racial reconciliation? Like, why, why is still 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock uh, the most segregated hour of the week? Right? That's, that's the question. Uh, and and I, th- I think the world looks at the, the bride of Christ at times and, and is wondering, who, who are they disciples of? Like, are, are they disciples of their political party? Are they disciples of their news station? Are they disciples of their parents' way of thinking? Like, the article they found on the internet? Are they, are they disciples of that? Like, they're wondering who or what is discipling us and shaping us and molding us, church. They're wondering that. Like, Jesus is supposed to be discipling us. His gospel it's supposed to be shaping us. But is it? it, if, it if it were, how, how would we know? How, how would we know, church? Like, so I, I want to spend some time figuring out this morning from, from Hebrews 9, uh, how, how do we know if the gospel is shaping the church toward racial reconciliation? Like, What, what are the markers of, of that gospel work being done in us and through us? Like what? What does a gospel mentality towards race look like? So, so I'm hoping that we'll, we'll be able to answer that uh, this morning. And, and, and well, before we get to how we know if the gospel is shaping the church um, as we approach racial reconciliation, we first need to establish uh, what the gospel is. So y'all, y'all been going through this series, what, what is the gospel? And it impacts us uh, particular implications on different aspects of our life. And so I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page and we're refreshing our memories every week of what is the gospel. So, the gospel. Good news for bad people. Good news for bad people. What is that good news? Jesus in our place. Jesus in our place. What do I mean? Well, everyone brought into this world was born into sin. And sin sin isn't just what we do, it's ingrained into our DNA. That's bad news. That's bad news sinners gonna sin, right? That's bad news. And a sinner's heart produces sinful behavior, but the, but the problem is the heart. That's the problem. And that heart must be radically changed and made new because a sinful heart deserves a righteous wrath. There's, there's a price to pay for sin, and that price is death, but not just any death, a righteous death. Okay, so, so Jesus in his loving kindness says this, I will pay the price. I, I will live the perfect life. I will die the humiliating death. I will stand in your place. I will give you my righteousness and, and I will take on your sin. That the call for Jesus uh, was to die. A sinless lamb slain for a sinful people, uh, to die for the sake of our redemption, to, for, for the sake of our peace, for, for the sake of our reconciliation to our Father. 
uh, this, is, this is good news. It's good news for bad people. And, and, and we don't have to, to earn this, this good news. We, we can't earn it. He earns it for us, and not through our works, but the work of Jesus on a cross in an empty tomb. So it's not our good works, it's, it's not our nice works, it's not our mighty works, it's not our sacrificial works, it's, it's, it's Jesus' work. And, and his way isn't a way, it's, it's the only way back to our Father, to be reconciled back to him. And, and so the writer of Hebrews in, in, in chapter 9 will say it this way, for, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, and purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is good news. This is good news. Jesus, without blemish, offering himself, offering his blood to purify not our flesh, but our conscience to serve the living God. Mm. Good news, amen? And in light of this good news, uh, look at how the writer of Hebrews finishes this. He says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Therefore, Christ becomes our mediator. The, the gospel leads to mediation. The gospel leads to redemption. The gospel leads to reconciliation. So, so what, what do the scriptures say to do with that gospel, like with, with that good news, good news? Well, we receive it. The gospel is a gift, a free gift to receive, so you receive it. But not only are we Christians supposed to receive the gospel, but we are supposed to imitate the gospel. We, we receive the gospel, then we imitate it. And we imitate it by giving of ourselves. And, 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 we, and we don't give like to, to earn his good favor, but we joyfully give of ourselves in light of his good favor earned by Jesus. It's a, it's a response to what's already been earned. We lay down our lives for the shalom, the peace on earth as it is in heaven, because shalom was brought to us. And that shalom begins and ends vertically, but it impacts our horizontal too. So, so the call remains the same, Christian. Death, self. Death to self. Like, where, where do I get that? Death to self. Well, all over. All over the scriptures. I'll reference a couple for now. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, 23 through 24. You don't have to turn there. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You want more? John chapter 12, 24 through 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever, whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. For if anyone serves me, he must follow me. This, friends, is the Christian life. Death to self. Death to self. Now, now this sounds like a terrible offer, right? Like, you're, but, but, but it's not. Your, your death actually means your freedom. Your, it means your joy. It means your salvation. It means your identity. It means your, your purpose. Like, this is a gracious offer. Like, when we lose, when we give up, when we surrender to God, we win. When we, we lose our life, we get our life. The, the prize is Jesus, and one of the many implications of the gospel is reconciled racist. The gospel is the key, and it must be received in order for it to be obeyed, and it must be received in order for, for fruit such as racial reconciliation to be experienced in your life and in this church family. So, so you, you must first receive it, then you must obey its call to die to self. Now, now what, what do I mean by, by die to self, right? Like, what, what am I talking about? Well, from a practical level, like, I, I, we're asking the question, what does dying to self look like in pursuing racial reconciliation? Okay? So, so, so this morning we're going to cover uh, how our gospel mentality involves dying to one thing. So if you're taking notes, we're, we're going to talk about dying to one thing and remembering two things. Dying to one thing and remembering two things. So I pray that this will just be helpful for you, Trailview, in pursuing racial reconciliation more effectively in a gospel-centered manner. And if you have any problems, just email Derek Kimes, dkimes at trailview.church, and he can answer all those, okay? So, so let's start with uh, what, what we died to. So we kind of really already surveyed that, overviewed that. Uh, but I, I want to read um, Philippians 2 to get us to this first point, all right? Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but, but also to the interests of others. So, so Paul is making the statement that once we receive the gospel, our interests shift. Y'all see that? We, we receive the gospel and our interests shift. Now, this is tricky because our interests don't necessarily die, though. Okay? So, so what, what dies is our interests taking first priority in our lives. That, that dies. It, it's, it's a mentality shift or a, a mentality death that must happen. Our our ambition to be first dies. How, how significant we consider ourselves to be dies. Now, now why, why do we need to hear this living in the 21st century in America? 
because uh, this, this actually goes against the foundation of what we were told to be in America, right? To, to be in America is to pursue the American dream. And, and, what, and what is that American dream? What is it? It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? We all know that. We should help me down here. That, that's, that's what it is. Now, now, you're probably thinking, what's wrong with that, Tony? Like, aren't you a Christian hedonist? Like, pursuing happiness is a good thing, you know? Like, and Tony, like, don't you know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life? That's in there. And, and Tony, like, don't you know, like, uh, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is found, there is liberty, right? There you get it. You get all that. And in and, and America, you know, the, 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 these people that, that wrote the Declaration of Independence, they were Christians, and, and America is a Christian nation. So, so what's the problem, Tony? Right? Well, other than the fact that, that many of the writers of the Declaration of Independence owned slaves as they penned it, and other than the fact that, that what they meant by all men being created equal was white men being created equal, I still had this problem. What's really meant by the American dream is uh, the American dream is the opportunity to make something of yourself. Which, which on one level is amazing. I, I just want to like uh, just say that. It's amazing. I praise God for that. Like there's so many people that have been blessed by the opportunity to come to America and make something of themselves. That's a big deal. And there have been many Americans that have laid down their lives, like died to self in order for America to continue pursuing this dream. That's a beautiful thing. Like we should be thankful to God for the people that have laid down their lives for the sake of our freedom. We should be thankful for that. But here's where we get to kind of the tension. Here's the problem. If the American dream is the opportunity to make something of yourself, do you remember what the call of Christ is that we just covered? To die to self. To die to self. So, so does that mean that your interests don't matter? No. Like, remember, Paul says, let, let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. So, so your interests don't die. Is it, is, it, is it wrong to, like, want freedom? No, you should want freedom. You should want to live in a free nation. Uh, but here, here's, like, the, but the call to die to self you just have you, you feel it. everyone should feel this tension. It's a tricky tension with the opportunity to live for self. You feel me? If the Christian life, if in the Christian life you lay down your life in order to redeem others, if the Christian life is to give others the opportunity to experience life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness too. Like, if that's what it is, then we need to like, understand that there's a tension that we're all feeling. Like, uh, like we should be holding fast and, and like, really like, tr- searching our hearts. Like, is it really more blessed to give than to receive? Okay? And so, so there, like, the, the, the call of the Christian life, when you read Philippians 2, is you're reading this and going, okay, my, my pursuit of the, 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 the American dream is this, but the, the scriptures say their interests, someone else's interests, is more significant than my own. This is the call of Christ. And this call is what led Jesus to the cross, right? 
like to lay down his life, to humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? To redeem his people back to the Father. Laid down his life to redeem back to the Father. So let me just ask you, Trilby, are you imitating Christ when it comes to the interests of others? Like, who, who is more significant in your life? Like, you and your own, your own or, or others and their own? Because here's the deal. I'll just shoot straight with you. I, I, I think most Christians I know genuinely want to pursue racial reconciliation. Like, they do. I, I really believe that. In this room, I believe that most of y'all are like, gosh, I just, I want to pursue racial reconciliation. Uh, but, but what's the problem, right? Like, we're, try, we're trying to feel this out. You want to know what it is? Here it is. We just want the American dream more. We just, we just want it more. And, and, and many of us, like, I'm not saying all of us, I'm, many of us, that the tension is we want racial reconciliation, but we want our own interest more. It's, it's competing values that end up impacting our mentality and approach to race issues. Like, we want to live to self more than we want to die to self. That's, that's the problem. And oftentimes, like, you just can't have both. Like, you can't have live for self and die to self in the same, like, they just can't coexist, man, oftentimes. And so, uh, so what, what, what do I mean by that, though? Like, why, why can't you have both? Well, let's take the American dream again, right? What does the American dream boil down to? You know, uh, it boils down to our pursuit, our personal interest of safety, education, and opportunity, okay? It's really kind of those three. You want to be safe, you want to be educated, and you want opportunity slash freedom, okay? So uh, uh, safety, education, opportunity for you and your spouse and your children, if you got those, okay? That's kind of what it boils down to. This is the American dream at its core. Now, let me just give you an example real quick of what dying to just, let's just go with opportunity. Dying to opportunity looks like by sharing a story I once heard about Jen Wilkin, uh, she's an author and Bible teacher um, from the Village Church in Dallas, and this story kind of highlights the tension of living for self, the American dream, versus dying to self, the call of Christ. Okay, so this is the story. So Jen was asked to speak at this women's conference a while back, and uh, you know one of the first questions out of out of Jen's mouth, uh, like to the people planning this conference when they called, uh, her question was, uh, "Hey, uh, when's when's the last time you had a, a person of color speak at your conference?" That was her question. And, you know, kind of dumbfounded, these people were like, gosh, I just can remember, you know, the last time they had a person of color, you know, speak at their conference. So this is her response, you know. She says, uh, well, thank you so much, you know, for asking me. Um, how about this? How about um, you go call those people that are, that are gifted and equipped to speak at your conference that are people of color, and then once you get more of them in, then I'll come back and speak at your conference. As she did. Now, Let's think about this moment. Like, what, what did Jen die to in this moment? An opportunity to speak, a larger following. She probably got some extra Insta followers, you know, if she would, if she would have done it. Um, an opportunity to see firsthand women encouraged and potentially saved under her teaching. Like, th those are all opportunities that she just died to, okay? Now, uh, so her, her gospel mentality... Uh, 
though, was to die to self in creating an awkward moment and potentially strange relationship for the sake of, like, her sisters and really herself, the whole conference, everyone seeing a little bit of heaven on the way to heaven. Like, she took an awkward telephone conference, whatever it was, in order to see a little bit of heaven on the way to heaven, which is all nations, tongues, peoples, tribes, worshiping the name. Now, was, was it wrong that this conference didn't have many people of color on, on their platform? I don't, I don't think so. But I, I wouldn't put it in the wrong bucket. Like, would it have been wrong if Jen would have accepted the offer to speak at this conference? I actually don't think so. I don't think it would have been wrong. But here's the thing. Is it a beautiful picture of Jesus and how Jen found a lane and moment where she was given an opportunity to die to self for the sake of her sisters of color in Christ? To, to count her sisters of color more significant than herself. Yes, to, to consider her fellow sister's interests more important than her own. Yes, to, to celebrate the gifts that the Lord has also given her sisters of color that haven't been given the opportunity yet to use them. Yes. It's a beautiful thing. It's an it's a absolutely resounding yes to that. Like, like stories like that should should beg of us this question, Trailview. Like, what, what opportunities are you willing to give up to be around, and friend, and love people that don't look, think, and act like you? What safety and comfort are you willing to, to die to in order to pursue racial reconciliation? Or better, better question, you want to hear the better question? You kind of don't want to hear the better question, but this one, this one stabbed me when I heard it. What safety or comfort are you unwilling to die to to pursue racial reconciliation? Like, you're just, your, your hands are here, but they're doing this. Like, you can touch anything, God, but you can't touch what's in my hands right here. I care about this too much to pursue my brother, sister in Christ. Is, is our mentality and approach to racial reconciliation off because of our competing self-interests and treasures? Maybe it's a school for your kiddos and a neighborhood you want to live in, a future you want to have, or a job that you just treasure more and are holding onto for dear life, like that, that just at the end of the day, you love more than racial reconciliation. And when push comes to shove, which eventually it does, you choose you and your treasure over the pursuit of your brother and sister in Christ. It comes down to that. So now, I know a lot of us have butts to this, right? Like, we, we all have the butts. Like, like, Tony, you don't understand. Like, I, I need this for me and, uh, and my family. Or, or like, but, but why, why do we have to give up something for them. Like, what, what if they abuse that opportunity if I give it to them? Like, what, what if they don't return the favor? Like, or what if they're not hard workers if I give them that opportunity? Or I've heard this, but, but Tony, I like, I like people of color. I just don't like ghetto. 
Or, or, but if, if they just take care of themselves better and make better decisions and repent of their sin, like they would, they would make this so much easier for me to die to self, Tony. Like I would totally be willing to help and give up something for them if they just cleaned themselves up a bit. So I have a lot of responses to those buts. A lot, but like we, we don't got time for that. Uh, so I, I, maybe another time, but I just want to boil down my response to one response with two steps. One response with two steps. So, so here's my response. Here's the second part of the gospel mentality to racial reconciliation. You have dying to self, and then you have this. Remember. Remember what? Remember the gospel. What do I mean? Or there's two ways that I mean this. First off, you remember your salvation in the gospel. Salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I want you to consider what, whatever response you had to whatever I said so far in light of the gospel that you've received. Okay? Wait, what? What, what, what are we saying? Well, let's consider, I just want to give you a passage. Romans 6, 6 through 11. We can all read it together. You can turn there if you want. Listen to this, okay? For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God knows his love for us, that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. You guys picking up on this? Write this down. The gospel means while we were still. Come on, church, this is beautiful. What, what, what am I trying to say? We, we don't come to Jesus clean. He makes us clean, church. While we were still, Christ came to us, approached us, redeemed us, died for us. That is good news. We don't have to be strong to come to him. Rather, he demands our weakness because his power is made perfect in our weakness. So, so we remember that good news and we imitate that good news to our fellow image bearers. So what does that mean for us? It means remembering that we've been approached first by Jesus and that changes our approach to race. To race. How? We, we, we don't demand that they clean themselves up in order for us to love them or come to them or give them an opportunity. We, we don't just love the bougie but not the ghetto. But we, we don't just link arms with the strong and neglect the weak. We, we don't just consider those that get their lives together first before we give them mercy. Why? Because that's not 
the gospel. Not the gospel. So we remember. We, we remember how Jesus came to us, approached us. We, we remember John 1.14, that the word didn't just come, but the word came and dwelt among us. We remember the gospel in our salvation. And not only do we remember the gospel in our salvation, but step two, we remember the gospel in our sanctification. Our sanctification is our, is our growing like Christ. Our growing like Christ. Uh, y'all remember me talking about my marriage? We're doing fine, I promise. In order for me to, to pursue peace in my marriage, I had to be constantly learning, relearning, exposing, unearthing layers of selfishness and sin in my heart. I had to be constantly learning more about Sarah and myself. Still doing that. Listen, Christian, you should be constantly learning, constantly relearning, constantly exposing, constantly doing the work necessary to lead, to mediate, to pursue peace with those that don't look, think, and act like you. Constantly. You're called to be constantly learning more about Jesus and his creation. So what what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is stay in school. Stay in school. If If you think you're in this exclusive club of people that see the world rightly and you have nothing else to learn but only to teach and and everyone else is wrong or or clueless, I just want to gently encourage you to check yourself. If you think your political affiliation or newsfeed has all the right answers and gives all the right facts and teaches you what's really going on, I I just want to encourage you to check yourself, to, to humble yourself because your political party ain't Jesus. Your political party, your newsfeed, or anything else shouldn't be discipling you in how to love and treat image bearers more than Jesus in his word. Listen to this, church. Like, if, if sin is real, then our broken parties must be too. If, if sin is real, then, then our, our imperfect affiliations must be too. Even if you've seen all the charts, read all the articles, watched all the videos on social media, spoken to all three of your black friends that agree with you, the truth still remains, church. You aren't God. God is God. And God sees all, knows all, understands all. He's omni-everything, and we are omni-nothing. Listen, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-holy, all-present, all-loving, all-good. That's who God is. And we, my friends, are limited in knowledge, limited in power, broken in our sin, selfish in our love, and limited to a singular space and time. This means that we should be forever speaking the words of Paul in Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ has made me his own. 
That's, that's the gospel mentality, grace. You stay in school and you stay needy, Christian. That, that's what you must remember. God, God is God and you are not. And listen, I, I mean this for all groups. Like, I don't care if you're white, brown, blue, polka dot. Like, I don't care. The scriptures say there's only one God and everyone else has fallen short. Everyone else not named God needs to stay in school and stay needy in order to pursue true racial reconciliation. There's no code saying that the darker your skin is, the more accurate your perspective is. And vice versa holds true. The lighter your skin doesn't mean you have nothing to contribute to the conversation. That's not what the scriptures say. Yes, some groups need to do more listening you know, than sharing. That's true. But we are Christians, and we Christians are all called to be quicker to listen and slower to speak. That, that's a Christian thing, not a race thing. And regardless of our experience, we must remember our sanctification in the gospel, that what we have accomplished has only been done by the good work that he began in you, that, that what we understand, what we comprehend, what we grow in, what we learn in is only done by the gracious work that he's doing in you, that, that the good work that he began in you will be completed but ain't done. It's in process. You are in process. We remember that our story ain't done, that our testimony is still being written, and so is everyone else's. We are still in process. We are still being worked on. We are still needy children. We are still dealing with the presence of sin in our lives, even though Christ has broken our bondage to it. And because of our remembering, when we remember that we're still in process, then we all can approach the table quick Hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Like I'm, just, I'm just praying that 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 there are more Christians that have hearts that break for the things that break God's heart. You know, that a broken, humbled heart that is it, it's one that's seeing and experiencing racism. Uh, and when, when you and when when our children, like when the children of God see and experience racism, uh, I, I'm praying that like it would produce in us like a more holy, patient, listening, self-controlled anger from the Lord that's birthed out of a deep love for Him and His image bearers. That that's what a gospel mentality is supposed to look like. Gospel remembering should produce God, humble listening. Gospel remembering should produce humble listening. Humble listening where bridges are built, not broken. Where, where hearts are broken, not bridges. Where, where bread is broken, not fellowship. This, this is reconciliation done the Bible's way through the gospel. Listening ears, eager to learn not Facebook posts ready to send. Listening ears eager to enter in, to dwell among the spaces where disciples are made and relationships are built, where we become mediators, not judges. 
spaces where we're learning more about what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of God's kingdom, the righteous judge, judge as, he pertains, as it pertains to the subject of, of, of race in light of the gospel. The prayer trail view isn't more diversity, but more disciples of Jesus. That's the prayer. And, and the goal isn't merely like horizontal. Again, it's not, not horizontal. And, it, and the goal isn't merely just sharing the gospel vertical. It's primarily vertical that leads to and fuels horizontal reconciliation. It's a holistic approach to people the way Jesus loved us. So my encouragement to you, friends, is to find your death-to-self lanes and moments where you can live out your remembering of the good news of Jesus, your remembering of the gospel in your, in your salvation while we were still, and remembering your go- the gospel in, in your sanctification. We are still in progress. This, this moves us forward as we trust the Holy Spirit to present us with opportunities to listen curiosity, and speak up in moments that may cost us something. Maybe it's a friendship or a relationship or with a loved one or an opportunity or a night of rest or a place or a season of comfort or safety. That's the cost or the death. I don't know what it is. It can be different for everybody. Um, so, like Some of us this morning just need to come, like, when, like we're about to respond you know, to, the, to the good news of Jesus, some of us just need to come and admit that we're, like, we're wanting our treasures more than Jesus. We're wanting our things more than the things of Jesus, like in what he cares about, which includes a diverse, beautiful-looking bride. So we just need to come in repentance. Like, we need to come saying, Jesus, I know I've kept this alive and it needs to die. Like this, this, is, this is what John 12 says, right? Fruit requires death. You, you have to be asking yourself two questions this morning. First question, what fruit do you want to see in your church family? That's question number one. In particular, in what ways do you want Trailview to look like heaven? That's the first question, okay? After you, after you pray through and answer that first question, here's the second one. What needs to die in order to see that fruit in that vision? As a church family, together, what needs to die in order to pursue it? What, what, what interests, what preferences, or, or what concerns need to die? In other words, you're asking as a family, what hills need to die rather than what hills do we need to die on? As a church, as a family, you're asking that question. What hills need to die, not what hills do we need to die on? The hill you die on is the gospel. We've already answered that. Okay? So you answer those questions by staying in school, by building a bridge with someone that doesn't look, think, and act like you, and to, to, to give you eyes to see what needs to happen, what needs to die, what, what needs to be remembered, what needs to be learned, what needs to be unlearned. Like, this is the task. I, 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 so this month, I just want you to be thinking as you're answering those two questions, your task this week is to build one bridge this month. One bridge with one person that doesn't look, think, or act like you. And here's what you do when you meet up with them. You just listen. You hear their story. You humbly listen. 
You ask questions. Like, you don't have to prove a point, just build a bridge. That's like, if you're thinking, what easy step? Like, that's an easy step. In one month, find someone that doesn't look, think, or act like you and build a bridge by hearing their story. And we can collectively, like, if we collectively did that as a church family, we're talking a good, what, 40, 50, 60, 70 people that you've built a bridge with for racial reconciliation. You're dying to your preferences and you trying to prove a point and you're building a bridge. Okay? So you have an opportunity. Yes. Think about that. An opportunity to die to your interests in that moment in order for your fellow image bearers to flourish and to be heard and to be valued and to be loved. In order that to have a church that looks a little bit like heaven, where all nations, tongues, tribes, peoples are worshiping the name of God. And I just want to say the last thing before we close. Like, I, 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 I'm saying these steps, I'm like trying to push you in the right direction because you, you can't just drift toward like a heaven-looking church. You, you don't just naturally drift there. It takes intentionality. It takes intentional deaths to get there. It takes intentionally discipling yourself to remember the gospel to die to self for racial reconciliation if you want it. Okay? And for some of the room, the, the call is to remember, and then for others in the room, I just want you to look at me. We're about to close. The call isn't to remember. The call is to receive the gospel. Like, does anybody in here need to receive the gift of good news of Jesus dying to self, dying in your place to save you and defeating death three days later. Does anyone need to receive that good news in here? Might be nobody, might be somebody. Anybody need to, re- to surrender to Jesus and say, thank you for dying for me. I surrender, I lose, you win, which means I win. Anybody? For the Christians in the room, the call is to remember the gospel, to to remember and allow the Holy Spirit to to give you wisdom, clarity, and discernment on how to move forward. Legalism says, we all must do this. Wisdom says, as for me and my family, we feel led to do this in light of what's been done for us. Okay, so this is going to look different for every single person in the room of what the call to action is, how, like what the dying to self looks like in your life. Okay, so, so the call is to do that. And so just may the Holy Spirit lead you in that. As, as we respond in this next song, um, we're going to just respond in worship. And if you need to sit, you need to stand. If you need to run, maybe not run. Uh, if you need to just, if you need prayer, we're going to have our pastors over on the side. If you need to repent before the Lord, if you need to confess something, if you need to rejoice, if you need to receive good news and like, have someone lead you to the Lord. Like there's just a moment in this next song to respond. Respond to good news. Uh, And I just pray that this next song, just consider what it looks like to die to self and remember the gospel. What does that look like as you pursue racial reconciliation? Let's pray. I want to give you a moment.
And I just want you to come with, with, with open arms, open hands, and just asking the Lord, um, what will you have me do? God, we thank you for, for your good news that, that while we were still and while we are still, those realities of, the, of our salvation, I, I'm just thankful that, that you give those promises, that you, that you come to us, that we don't have to make ourselves clean, but you make us clean. We thank you that Jesus first died to sell for our redemption, not, not so that we can just imitate it, but so that we can receive it. God, I pray for, for anyone here this morning that hasn't received the good news yet of, of Jesus dying for them. I pray that you may soften their hearts this morning. I pray that your good news may, may humble them enough to bring their sin, their lives to your feet, to the feet of Jesus. For the followers of Jesus here, compel them to take the call to die to self. Jesus, may we be willing to die to self. We're, we're willing to die to being right. We're, we're willing to die to vengeance. We're we're willing to die to our preferences. We're, we're willing to die to the satisfaction of hearing our own voices. We're, we're willing to die to, to our relationships with our family members and friends for the sake of loving our fellow image bearers in Christ. We're willing to do that, God. So help us, give us guidance, give us strength. As you mediate and, and love others, like that you love us, may we imitate that. May we be ambassadors of reconciliation as a church family. We need you. We love you. You love us more. Son's name we pray. Amen. And respond to Jesus in this next song, and then after that song, you want to get your kiddos, kinder and up, and bring them in, and we'll continue worshiping together as a church family together. All right? Let's stand and worship.